Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On the Believe Podcast Network and LAFBnetwork.com. This is your destination for Los Angeles football. What's going on, Los Angeles and everyone in the Southland? And welcome to the LA Football Show right here on the LA Football Network. And every Friday live on AM, the Mightier 1090. Thanks for making us a part of your day, a part of your drive, part of your commute part of your sit nap time whatever it may be we appreciate it and i certainly uh, appreciate you tuning in to this show got a great show for you today as uh three of our teams battle this weekend ucla is on a bye um so they get a much needed bye after a tough loss um to utah last weekend so not much focus on them on this show uh but we got three guests so I'm just going to get right to it. we got three guests for the show coming on. Um, we got Tyler Rowland of the Locked on Titans podcast. Going to join me to obviously talk about this Rams and Titans Sunday night prime time showdown. It's going to be a great game. Uh, and then we have Brandon Lee Gowton, who is the managing ed- editor for Bleeding Green Nation, covering the Eagles, part of SB Nation. He's going to help me break down this Chargers and Eagles matchup. And then to end the show, Jacob Rudner, who uh, writes for Sun Devil Source, is going to join me to talk about this Trojans and Sun Devil game down in Tempe. So a loaded show, all L.A. football, all the time, for your ears, ready to get into it. Show today brought to you by MyBookie, new partner, MyBookie.ag, some of the best lines out there. You can't go wrong. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code LAFB for up to 250% welcome bonus. Can't go wrong. Right now, the Rams are 7.5 point favorites. I don't know how you feel about that. I love the Rams in this game. I think it's going to be a good, hard-fought game. I think they pull away in the end. We'll get into it, obviously, in the preview. But I would take the – I think they, they, you know, give them the points. I think they take that. But mybookie.ag, every uh, game you want on there for all sports, uh, really pumped about this partnership as we're going to build a long-lasting relationship. So head there, use the promo code LAFB. Also, this Sunday, Golden Road Brewery, one of our new partners, great beer here in the Southland. We will be there all day leading up to the Rams game. Come hang out with us. Let us buy you a beer. We'll be recording a live show myself, uh, the Rams Brothers podcast, and others will have guests there uh, recording a show at 1 o'clock. Pub opens at 11. Rams game's not till 5.30. We're going to be hanging out there. So please come. Say what up. Grab a beer with us. We'd love to meet you. Love to hang out for a while. Um, should be a great time drinking some delicious beer, talking football, 
what what better is there to do on a Sunday? So come hang out. The pub is in LA. They have two locations. So don't go to the, I mean, you can go still, but don't go to the Anaheim one. If you want to see us, we will be at the Los Angeles location. And then a bunch of us will be going to the game afterwards since it is a prime time matchup. So we'll see you there. You can hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Dyrud LAFB. If you want more details, email me ryan.dyrud at lafbnetwork.com. Um, if you want more details as well. So hopefully we will see you all Sunday. But with that, let's jump right into these previews because we got a lot to talk about. Three big, big matchups. So joining me now on the show is our Titans and Rams preview. Joining me now on the LA Football Show on the LA Football Network and live on AM 1090, The Mightier. He is a host of the Locked on Titans podcast. Uh, he does Tic Tac Titans on Twitter, which is a lot of film breakdown, X's and O's. Tyler Rowland jumping on with me to break down this riveting matchup between the Rams and Titans on Sunday Night Football. Tyler, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, not a problem, Ryan. Uh, always a good time to, to talk some football. Love the sport. Best in the world. So excited to break down this game of two teams that are really playing very good football. But in terms of acquisitions, things are a little bit different feeling this week. Yeah, you know, the Rams uh, made headlines getting Von Miller, obviously, which we can maybe talk about later on, which we're ecstatic about here in L.A. Um, everyone on my show knows this, but you probably don't. But actually, I grew up in Denver, so I, I was, as a fan, die of my childhood team is the Broncos. So seeing Von Miller is bittersweet, seeing him leave my childhood team, but now coming right. to the team I cover in L.A. Uh, is bittersweet, but I, I'm happy to have him here, and he will certainly be a great addition to this already dynamic defense. But let me start with this. This Titans team, you know, drops a, a bat. I, I don't even know you can say a bad game now that we see how good Arizona is, but drops that game early in the season. And it's mm. kind of like, oh man, was the Arthur Smith loss like a much bigger deal than the media made it? Was this defense, offense really going to roll? And then obviously they corrected things pretty quickly and now are, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the top team in the AFC, at least in terms of mm -hmm. standings. What did you see this team kind of just basically take from that week one loss and, and turn around and become the team we thought they were going to be all along? Well, I think it's kind of been some ups and downs for different reasons. So number one, the Titans first team offense didn't get to play together during the preseason due to some COVID stints for some offensive linemen, some injuries to some skill position players and things on the offensive line. Taylor Lewan coming back from a torn ACL. So they never got to play together during the preseason at all. Any live reps. I'm sure in practice mm -hmm. they got some live reps here and there, but you, you know, everybody knows it's different when you play against another team. So the fact that that never got to happen in practice had a slow start along with the Arthur Smith loss. But uh, later in the season, they got some good things together. The defense started playing a little bit better, but injuries kind of took them down. They played that Jets game without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, which, as you can see, when they have at least one of those guys, mm -hmm. they can play a pretty good game, as they did in Seattle with Julio and then the last three games with just A.J. So uh, the injuries, having both those guys out, some other injuries as well. The Titans are the most injured team in the NFL this year. They've had the most games lost. Uh, they've had the most players on IR as well. So when you have that sort of problem uh, and you're dealing with some issues early in the season, like we saw, it just mm -hmm. kind of led to them maybe not playing their best football all the time. But regardless of that, you know, they've been able to be six and two. So although there's a, a couple bad losses in there, I think the highest of the high for the Titans is one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, and and they've certainly proven that, and that's I didn't know that. That's a crazy stat. They're the most injured team in terms of games lost. Uh, the you have biggest to go to my one. Twitter right now. There's a graph that shows every single team 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it kind of lines up how many players they've lost, how many games they've lost, things like that. And uh, the Titans are far and away the number one team on that graph in the place you don't want to be. Yeah, that, that's on your Twitter right now? Uh, yes, it is uh, something I've tweeted today. There's a okay. lot of tweets per day, admittedly. I <laughs> unload the clip. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is on there. Well, I will find that. So for anyone uh, listening mm-hmm. at Tic-Tac-Toe, I'll, I'll get there, not Tic-Tac-Toe, at Tic-Tac-Titans, uh, get that out there because uh, that's an interesting thing to see. And I think what's made the Rams so successful their entire, you know, Sean McVay's whole tenure is they've been relatively healthy his entire coaching regime. Uh, and I think I, I say all the time, and it's understated, the good teams stay healthy. And when it comes time to January, the best teams are the healthiest teams. Yes. So now the Titans, the biggest news for them, losing their star player. I mean, the, the offense, we know how good Tannehill can be and his resurgence in the NFL, but that offense goes to Derek goes through Derrick Henry. How big of a loss truly is that for this offense and for this team? And is it something they can recover from with the pieces they have uh, that can, you can never replace them, but they are, are going to step in for him. Well, I think that um, his loss will be felt in a major way, but maybe it's not quite the way that people would think. People would think that the the running game is just gonna gonna fall off completely for the Titans now. But the reality is, the system that the Titans run that outside zone scheme with mm-hmm. the bootlegs and the play action. I mean, Rams fans are going to know how that works very well. And they were doing a lot more of that stuff with Jared Goff, but they've seen it. You know, we Mm -hmm. see it in Green Bay. uh, We see it in San Francisco. It's all over the NFL. Arthur Smith took it to Atlanta. So that sort of scheme is conducive to a good running game. It's just a smart run game scheme. The Titans do have a pretty solid offensive line that it's a very good run blocking offensive line. So when you put those things together, uh, I think that the Titans run game will still be productive. Now, the problem is they won't have the explosive run plays Mm -hmm. that Derrick Henry gets you. The Titans are going to get eight yard, nine yard run plays. Basically what we saw from Derrick Henry in the last two games. But Mm -hmm. what they're not going to get is that Derrick Henry 60 yarder, 76 yarder, where he breaks two or three tackles and then takes off down the field. So the Titans will lose out on explosive run plays because of Derrick Henry's absence, but the system and the offensive line should still allow them to be a a productive run game to run their system the way that they need to. For This is probably a better question or better answer for for fantasy players out there, but will Mm -hmm. we see, you think, Adrian Pearson all, or is this going to be the Jeremy Nichols show on on Sunday? Uh, Well... It's hard to say because what they've done is they got rid of one of their practice squad running backs, Makai Sargent, who the Rams actually picked up on Thursday trying to get yeah. some inside information uh, from a practice squad guy on the a offense. Chess game, right? Right, right. Any information. I know McVeigh is the kind of guy that would mine any data mm-hmm. that he possibly could or any info. So um, at the running back position, they brought back a guy who's been with the franchise before Deontay Foreman. He's kind of a mm-hmm. dollar general, Derek Henry. He's a, he's a big guy with good straight line speed uh, added to the practice squad, but he's probably going to get an elevation. Adrian Peterson, obviously added mm-hmm. to this team, as you mentioned. And then Jeremy McNichols is the passing back and McNichols I think his role is going to stay the same he's going to come out of the backfield on passing plays he's good in pass protection he may get you know three to eight more carries probably around five more carries than he typically would in a Mm -hmm. game I would say that the 30 carries that you know Derrick Henry gets in a game probably five to McNichols I think Foreman will probably get five to ten and then Adrian Peterson will probably get about 15 to 20 somewhere in there and they'll divvy it out 
how it goes there, at least at first, because they're going to trust a veteran. But uh, I could see Foreman and, and Peterson splitting 10 and 10 and then McNichols, you know, getting that five. That could happen as well. But yeah. it does remain to be seen. These guys were just added to the team, Foreman and Peterson this week. So yeah. whether they're ready to go in practice, we can't know for certain. Yeah, that, I think that's going to be the fascinating story going into this game because two guys off the street, and then you get if you're splitting twenty carries between those guys, mm-hmm. that's a that's quite the the workload in an offense that they're just getting to know. And obviously, Peterson's been around the league; like he can run the football, I think. But right. that's going a lot for two guys off the street, I think. But we'll see how it goes, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you think they'll put more? Because we we've seen Tannehill, you know, last year playing at an MVP level. You know, every media person out there, I think, was putting Tannehill in like that top 12 range of quarterbacks heading this year. So based on that, and I don't know how you feel about him and we'll get into it, but he should be able to take some of the load on his shoulders and some of the pressure off of the running game and be able to do more when you're getting that kind of praise coming into the season. Do you think he'll fit that mold or do you think he's going to suffer more not having Henry? Well, this is, I guess this is what comes back to my overall point about about the offense and how mm-hmm. it'll react without Derrick Henry. I don't think that it's going to change. They're going to get less explosive plays in the run game, so they got to mm-hmm. try to manufacture some more explosive plays in the pass game uh, with the route combinations that they choose to run. But overall, I, I think that the Titans' balance between run and pass shouldn't really change much. You're just going to lose some explosive plays in the run game because Derrick Henry will take it 70 yards out of nowhere. You're not going to get that from Peterson, McNichols, or Foreman. But you yeah. can get some quality running and still be one of the top 10, top 12 run teams in the NFL. And if they do that, then they can keep kind of the same balance of pass and and run that they had. And you got to hope that Julio Jones gets healthy mm-hmm. during this time because he's going to win more matchups than any of the other players that the Titans have, like a Nick Westbrook Aquino or a Marcus Johnson or a Chester Rogers. I mean, listen to those names. They're not going to win as many routes as Julio Jones is going to win. So I think really as long as Julio Jones gets back in the lineup soon and the Titans offensive line stays as solid as it has been, really not much has to change to force Tannehill to pass the ball a bunch and get out of his comfort zone. Tannehill isn't the best with pocket awareness and, and, and pocket movement. And it's best for him to have a clean pocket, have defined reads, get the ball out of his hands, get him on the bootleg to get him away from the pressure Mm -hmm. so he can use his mobility. You can't fundamentally change what he does and try to make him do what Matt Stafford's doing right now, dropping back and throwing the ball all over the yard. Just not who Tannehill is. So I don't think that they want to mess up two things, the run game and the pass game, by changing their identity too much. Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing said in a press conference on Thursday, it would be a disservice for him to jerk the wheel of the offense. And basically he's saying that I don't want to fundamentally change what we're doing. So I think as long as the Titans offensive line can hold their water in the run game and not let it be a complete minus with these new guys, the Titans offense can still function pretty much the same way. Yeah. Tough task now with Von Miller too, on the, on the Rams going, (laughs) keep that that going, but obviously he's battled injuries so far, but for, for Rams fans listening that haven't watched much Titans football, how, how has the, the Julio Jones, you know, uh, I don't know if you call it an experiment, but, you know, the trade bringing him over. How's it gone so far overall besides the injuries? Well, I think obviously you would like to see more participation from Julio. (laughs) He's been out for most games, even in the games he plays. There are some that he doesn't really finish realistically. So you would like to see more, of course. But I think the reality here is, is that the Titans let Julio or let 
Corey Davis and John U. Smith go because they had the idea that they would replace him with Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. So as long as you have Julio Jones in the playoffs, I think yeah. that it, he could absolutely pay off on that trade if he makes big plays in the playoffs and the Titans win a Super Bowl or okay. go to a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, it's the AFC is wide open because Kansas City struggles. So if the Titans can at least have a healthy Julio Jones to help in the playoffs, because the reality, I, I guess the best way to put it is the way that people have beaten the Titans over the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm. They crowd the line of scrimmage. They play tight man coverage. And Tannehill isn't the kind of guy who's going to feel comfortable enough all game long with that going on. They stuff up the run game, which can happen late in the playoffs. And who's going to win? A.J. Brown gets shadow coverage. He's got man coverage on him already, and there's a safety over top of him. Who's going to win? Well, now you have Julio instead of Corey Davis. And now you can win in those situations that teams over and over and over again try to use to beat the Titans. So uh, I think you want to keep Tannehill in, in the right spot, but that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, we definitely have not seen Julio's best game yet. And no. a lot of that I would allude to is due to, you know, just kind of nursing injuries. And, and it's a war of attrition. You know, like we talked about earlier, you want to have the healthiest team going in the January. And yes. I think the they're Titans taking it are, slow with him, you know? Yeah, exactly. They're, the Titans are going to be in the playoff unless the wheels fall off somewhere. They're that good enough team. Right. I think they're well coached enough. And um, so, yeah, you don't want to, you don't need to force him out there and run in plays when he's not fully healthy. You want him to be good to go by January. So, looking into this game and the last time about the offense, and then we'll shift a little bit to the defense. Uh, what, when you look at the Titans offense going against this vaunted Rams defense that has, you know, fallen off a bit from last year. I don't think they've struggled nearly as much as some people say, you know, that they're still, you know, top five in most statistical categories. They still have elite athletes at every level. And now you add Von Miller to that equation. So when you look at just the Titans offense going against this Rams defense, what concerns you and what do the Titans need to do in order to win this game on offense? Well, obviously what concerns me is the pass rush. I mean, they have 25 sacks on the year. That's the most of any team in the NFL. So Mm -hmm. you worry about the guys up front. Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, both playing absolutely excellent football, getting after it. Of course, you expect that from Aaron Donald, but Floyd really being excellent this year, having more sacks is very impressive. So now you add Von Miller to that. I don't know how much Von Miller will play. We'll talk about that with like Adrian Peterson. Guy Mm -hmm. nursing an injury already, brand new system. You know, they might get him out there 10 to 15 snaps to pass rush on, on third down, something like that, but that's still enough to be deadly against the Titans team that's allowed 24 sacks this year through uh, eight weeks. Last year, that was the amount of sacks they gave up all year. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that figure, you got to be worried about that. So for the Titans, it comes back to kind of the point, the theme of the conversation. The Titans, you got to run the ball and make sure that you're not in third and long situations too often, third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, to where the Rams can pin their ears back and get those rushers after people because one-on-one, up front, a guy like right tackle Nate Davis has struggled in pass protection mm-hmm. this year. Uh, Taylor Lewan and David Questenberry at tackles have had their own personal struggles and in, in certain individual matchups, good games in there as well. Uh, the Nate Davis, the guy I'm talking about, he's mispracticed two days in a row, and he's got a pretty bad injury. If he doesn't play with the concussion, then rookie Dylan Radins could be in there or an undrafted free agent from last year, Aaron Brewer, could be in there and Aaron Donald one-on-one with that matchup. It could be very, very deadly. So you got to be in situations where Tannehill can get the ball out of his hands quickly 
And that's kind of been the plan for the Titans when they've had pass rushes that are that are really deadly. So if you can get the ball out of your hands quickly, and you need to be able to do that in third and medium, third and short situations. So that's kind of the key for the Titans. And that goes back to being productive in the run game, not necessarily getting the explosive plays, but get three, four, five, every carry, and we can still operate on offense. Yeah, and that's kind of what the the Rams defense you know, tempts you to do. They, they want you to just kind of plug away. They'll give you the running game. They'll give you the small plays. They don't want to give up explosive plays. They'll right. kind of lull you. They want you to be boring. And then they get to the red zone and there's not enough field to go. That's when they kind of clamp down. That's kind of how they've predicated things throughout. So um, the hope is that for the Rams fans, at least, that they'll be able to bottle that up as they've done throughout the season. So looking yeah. now at the Titans defense, you know, I think you guys overall very good defense, very good coached. A uh, lot of talent on both sides of the – or on – you know, that side of the football, how has this defense looked so far this season? And <laughs> what do you expect going against this, this powerful Rams offense with Matthew Stafford, Cooper cup, and what they've been able to do so far this season? Well, the big thing for the Titans this year has been the pass rush Four guys, Jeffrey Simmons, who's always taken a double team as a defensive tackle, uh, Harold Landry, who's second in the NFL in sacks with eight and a half. Uh, Bud Dupree has kind of been the Julio Jones on defense He's only played in a couple of games. He's limited snaps when he does play, but he always seems to make some sort of impact in those games. Mm -hmm. You know, with Julio, he basically carried the Titans for over 100 yards in the first half against Seattle while they were getting blown out and allowed them to come back. And then he makes the big catch on the sideline off the helmet in the Bills game. Uh, that was a big play for the Titans. And then Bud Dupree, he makes a big play in a few games early in the season. And then last week, He's the guy, uh, he had the stra uh, the strip sack fumble on Patrick Mahomes on a third down against mm -hmm. the Chiefs. And then last week, he's the guy who got the pressure on Carson Wentz that forced him to throw the pick six on the goal line in the two-minute drill. So Bud Dupree is making those plays. So you add in Danico Autry to those three guys as well, and they have a fearsome pass rush in their own right. Not near the Rams level, of course, but 17 sacks on the year. So still much improved. Last year, the Titans defense had 19 sacks all wow. year. Yeah, yeah it, absolutely embarrassing. So now you look at the day of 17 on the year. That's that's a great improvement. But overall, the plan that you just described for the Rams is exactly what the Titans do in these kind of games when they play really good teams like the Bills, like the Chiefs, mm -hmm. like the Ravens. In those situations, the Titans say, okay, we're going to keep you in front of us. We're not going to give you the big play. And right now, the Rams are the fourth best team in the NFL in explosive pass plays over 20 yards. 12% of their pass plays result in a gain of over 20 yards. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So you can't let them do that all the way down the field. You got to make Matt Stafford earn it, give him, you know, nickel and diamond all the way down the field and a bunch of third downs, 10, 12, 15 play drives. And then hopefully he makes a mistake a few times. You can get some red zone stops as the Titans have been wont to do in these games, stop people on fourth down. It's just the way that they try to play defense. A lot of teams do because nowadays, it's impossible to have a, a dominant defense that just shuts down these offenses mm -hmm. that are so high power. And you look at the Rams and the personnel they have, it, it's all about getting some stops in the red zone, having the Rams kick field goals and the Titans scoring touchdowns. And it sounds like that's usually what the Rams plan is as well, which is why I think the Titans defense has to do whatever they can to stop Cooper Cup in the red zone. So uh, you don't want to play man coverage against the Rams in the red zone because they mm -hmm. run the rub plays and the pick plays with the play action here and there, and they can get guys wide open going towards the pylons. And Cooper Cup scores all the time in situations like that. So yep. the Titans like to, in the red zone, 
play kind of a man-zone hybrid where you're lining up man over a guy, but if this guy goes outside, the outside guy's going to take him. The guy goes inside, the inside guy's going to take him. And that communication will be key in the red zone if they yeah. hope to force some field goals on the Rams. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. And I think I think fans need to realize in today's day and age that the day of the 85 Bears, the dominant defense, it, it's no more. <laughs> Even last year, the Rams finished with the number one defense, and I wouldn't call them a dominant defense. They were very good and efficient and kept teams out of the end zone when it mattered. So, Tyler, we'll get you, we'll get you out of here on this. It's going to be a fantastic game. I can't wait. I mean, two of the powerhouses of the NFC and the AFC clash on primetime. I will be there at SoFi. Uh, can't nice. wait for it. So, who do you got? Who are you taking in this one? It uh, should be a good one. Well, uh, obviously, I've, I've talked about, you know, the difficulties that the, the Titans could have with stopping the Rams and um, kind of how the, the matchup lines up. And right now, without Derrick Henry, the first week without Derrick Henry, which I think the Titans will improve in a few mm -hmm. weeks as those guys they just brought on the team this week get yeah. acclimated to the system. Um, the Titans have some easier games, a lot of easier games actually ahead of them on the schedule. So they may, a guy like Jeffrey Simmons, a guy like Nate Davis, a guy like cornerback Chris Jackson, cornerback Greg Maben, who have been starting for the Titans over recent weeks. Those guys haven't even practiced so far this uh, this week. So I, I think the Titans may be cautious with injuries and considering all of that and, and the newness of Derrick Henry being out. I, I do think that the Rams will win this game at home in prime time on their coast. Uh, just a lot of factors going against the Titans now. The Titans tend to play their best when yeah. they're in these terrible situations. It's just the truth. Uh, but, but I think this one, uh, the Rams are such a good team that, uh, and they have studs on defense that they'll be able to pull it out. So I have it as 27 to 20 Tennessee. Okay. That's what I think. Uh, the Titans get a couple field goals. The Rams score an extra touchdown and get the same field goals. And, and that's kind of how it works out. Okay. So 27, 20 Rams win. Yes. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's going to be a great game. Can't wait to watch it. So Tyler, yeah. man, thanks so much for uh, taking the time and uh, helping me break this game down as we look forward to it. Let everyone know where uh, they can find you and your work and, and communicate with you if they want. Yeah, absolutely. I do uh, a daily Monday through Friday, uh, Tennessee Titans podcast called the locked on Titans podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, uh, any podcast platform, uh, always free. You can catch me on YouTube as well. The locked on Titans YouTube channel. I do the show as a video, uh, in the, uh, area that I am now. <laughs> and, uh, on Twitter, I'm always doing film breakdowns and film clips, really trying to illustrate what the Titans are doing with the X's and O's, uh, at Tic Tac Titans. And then, uh, I do write a, a weekly film breakdown, uh, article for the USA Today, the Titans Wire. Uh, you can find that stuff on my profile or at Titans Wire on Twitter as well. So that's it. That's the that's the self promo. But uh, I love talking football, and it was a uh, good to speak to you, Ryan. Love it, man. Keep up the hard work. Thanks so much for joining me, and uh, enjoy the game this Sunday. Okay. You as well. Thank you. As mentioned in the intro, joining me now on the LA Football Show, right here on the LA Football Network and live on AM, the Mightier 1090. Excuse me. His name is Brandon Lee Gowton. He is the managing editor for the Bleeding Green Nation, part of the SB Nation, and he's going to help me break down this Chargers Eagles game this coming Sunday. Brandon, what's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So excited to get in this game. Uh, our Chargers out here are in a two game skid. Three game or three week of uh, disappointment, I guess. One weekend there in the bye, so not really much going on. And uh, Eagles coming off an impressive win last week. Talk to me about how this Eagle team's kind of has, in your opinion, evolved over the season. You know, new head coach Nick Sirianni, actually a former Chargers coach with a different regime here 
as uh, receivers and then, uh, you know, did some offensive coordinator work. And obviously we know what he did in Indy. So just talking about kind of how this Eagles team has evolved uh, throughout the season thus far. Yeah, I think everyone knew that the 2021 Philadelphia Eagles weren't going to be serious Super Bowl contenders, favorites. Uh, that was kind of admitted by the ownership, by the organization. They said this was a transition period for them, going from Doug Peterson and a Super Bowl winning coaching staff to obviously a brand new coaching staff and a brand new starting quarterback in Jalen Hurts instead of Carson Wentz. So, you know, expectations were relatively low. Well, that being said, uh, when you get to three and or, or sorry two uh and five like the eagles were and it's not only that you're losing but the way you're losing where you have a game that the eagles did against the raiders where Derek carr is like has three incompletions in a game he's completing over 90 percent of his passes the yeah. defense kind of looks toothless uh the offense looks like it doesn't have an identity it's really struggling you kind of wonder okay uh, okay it's it's a disappointing start to the season but it's like is this really long-term progress that's being built here? So that was kind of the big question going into the Lions game. The Eagles go out and they absolutely blow the doors off the Lions. They run the football finally, like a lot of people have been calling for the Eagles mm -hmm. to do. So it's kind of now like at a point where, okay, the Eagles beat the Lions. The Lions are really, really bad. And can they build on this? And that's kind of the question where it is right now. It's kind of like an interesting game this week. because I think it's a real pivot point. It's like, okay, was the Lions game just a one-off? against a really bad football team, or was it a sign of more positive things for the Eagles to come? Yeah, well, you mentioned that running game that they got going, and I didn't even mention Shane Steichen, who your OC was actually the Chargers OC last year under Anthony Lynn. So what is this offensive identity, do you think? When when Coach Steichen was here last year, there was a lot of um, contention, I guess, among the fan base with him and Lynn because it was such a they, – they, the joke was always like how much they ran the football. It was a run on first, second, third down, whatever – I think that was misused because they did throw the football a lot. Justin Herbert obviously won rookie of the year for a reason because he was throwing it around the yard. Um, but has he began implementing that or just what's the identity of this offense you think, or is it, you don't know, like you kind of mentioned because it's been different each week. Yeah, I, we don't know. I mean, the hope here in Philly is that the Eagles will kind of learn from the Lions game and stick with the run a little bit more. At the same time, I think when you're talking about this not being an all-in kind of year, it's an interesting conflict because it's like what the Eagles can do this year to maximize their win potential is probably running the football and not throwing the ball as much. But I don't think that's the organization the Eagles really want to be. I mean, ultimately, I think they want to win more than anything, but I think ideally – they want to have an elite passing offense, and I don't think they really can under Jalen Hurts. Um, and I really think in for any team, for the most part, you have to be able to pass the ball efficiently and effectively at some point. You can't just rely on the run week in and week out. So um, that part of it very much remains to be seen. I don't think we're going to see the Eagles be as run heavy as they were against the Lions. because That's obviously just kind of an exception um, and something they're afforded to do, in part because the Lions are just so bad You know, against better quarterbacks that aren't Jared Goff. The Eagles are going to, and Jalen Hurts is going to have to pass the ball at some point and you know, not go through a game with just like th 14 attempts like he did last week. So um, I, I think, People are just hoping to see more of a balance between those things. Maybe not a perfect 50 to 50, but, you know, something at least a little bit closer approaching that where the Eagles were kind of way out of whack earlier in the season. Yeah. You know, I know he's on IR right now, but for my fantasy team, Miles Sanders, I would love to see them run the football a little more. <laughs> Give the guy the rock <laughs> sometimes uh, like they did last week with all their splitting it with Jordan Howard and Bart Scott and even Kenneth Gainwell getting some carries there. So, and, you know, Jalen Hurts led everyone in, in yards, I believe. So, um, you know, against this Chargers team now, 
if the Eagles were smart, they probably should run the ball a lot because that's where the Chargers defense has struggled the most. And even not in their struggle, but the the Staley system is more of a system that wants you to run the football. It, it dares you to run the football, kind of bleed down the field, and then they buckle up and you know they lock you down in the red zone and, and disallow you from getting points. That's kind of what this defense predicates on, this too high safety set. So do you when you look at this matchup, what do you think this offense for your Eagles? What do they need to do to win this game, I guess, in a sense? Because I think these are two teams that I think the Chargers, in my opinion, if I'm just being honest, I think they're a better football team right now, but they've struggled the last two weeks. Eagles are coming off a big win. Anything can happen any given Sunday. So what does this Eagles defense need to do against the Staley-led, excuse me, this Eagles offense need to do against the Staley-led defense in order to win this football game? Well, I, I'm going to start from the Chargers side and say I think it'd be insane if Brandon Staley continues to invite the run against the Eagles specifically. I get that theory, and I think it's a sound strategy, um, especially when you're going up, you know, against better quarterbacks. You'd rather the you know Tom Brady be handing off to Leonard Fournette than Tom Brady throwing the ball a lot. But I mean. Jalen Hurts, I think the Chargers should absolutely be putting the game on him. If mm -hmm. the Chargers lose on Sunday because Jalen Hurts comes out and he uh, throws for 400 yards and he has an amazing game through the air, like you have to live with that. It'd be like, okay, yeah. well, like he's not probably like, yeah, we didn't think he was going to do that. Like that's, and that's, that's going to be like a career day for him. So if he has a career day against you, then again, I think he kind of just like, well, he was just really good and we had a plan to make him be better than ever. And uh, it just didn't work out. I, I would not be in a situation where you're just having uh, the Eagles be able to run the ball all day because clearly, especially coming off of this Lions game, that's something they can do. Um, so I, I would definitely be looking to kind of challenge Jalen Hurts more and put the game on his shoulders uh, than I would just be allowing the Eagles to do whatever wh whatever they want to do on the ground. Yeah, is, is, is Jalen Hurts, you think, the future of this team? Or is it, is it still a work in progress? Is it still kind of a resume builder? Do you think the organization is going to look next to the draft? And what's your thoughts over on, on Jalen Hurts and his future? Yeah, I don't think he is. I mean, I'm, I can't say 0% chance because, you know, there's still some of the season left. We'll see mm -hmm. what he can do the rest of this year. Uh, I think you also have to look at the context of the Eagles situation moving forward. And there isn't necessarily a, you know, surefire answer. There isn't a Trevor Lawrence, a Joe Burrow in this mm -hmm. year's draft class, at least not yet from what we're seeing. Um, and then you also have to consider that the Eagles aren't necessarily guaranteed to get, let's say, a Russell Wilson who has a no trade clause or Aaron Rodgers who also has a no trade clause. And, uh, you know, even if those guys, uh, again, are available, you just don't know if they're going to want to come to Philly, which is absolutely mm -hmm. relevant. So uh, when you kind of consider all that, you would think, OK, maybe there's a path where Jalen Hurts just is the best option for the Eagles because they don't have better alternatives. But to me, the Eagles aren't in an organization that's going to settle for less at the quarterback position. And I think it is meaningful to me, at least that when you look at the Eagles best performance this year, it just was against the Lions. And again, mm -hmm. their best offensive performance came when the quarterback was less involved than ever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really not the best thing there, uh, deal, you know, yeah. when. Yeah. So um, I, I think, and obviously Jalen Hurts has his merits. I'm not trying to say he's a worthless player. I think he could kind of be like a Tyrod Taylor kind of level starter in the NFL. Um, someone, you know, who can start games for a team, but he's never going to be really that long-term franchise kind of guy, a guy you're going to really want to pay like this big money contract to um, a, a really good backup. I think actually he, he could be for, you know, a lot of teams or a placeholder, a bridge quarterback, something like that. But I just I don't think you're contending for championships with Jalen Hurts under center. Um, I'd like to see him prove me wrong. Go ahead and do it. But like I, I just don't think we're there right now. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how he plays out this season, how the organization decides. Because 
Um, this is kind of off topic from our preview, but I'm just curious your thoughts as you cover the team, just how the whole thing ended with Carson Wentz and him taking over. Did it seem like that was what the organization wanted? Was it just that it had run its course with Carson Wentz and then Doug Peterson leaving? They were like, let's just give him a shot because we did draft him. Or did they draft him the second round with the thought of him being the future at some point? I, what was your thoughts on just that whole situation in general? Because it was a very interesting one and a very odd one to kind of see unfold. Very odd indeed. I don't think it was <laughs> a sign of the Eagles like knowing what they were doing. I thought it was like a galaxy brain kind of move or like, okay. Uh, and also very reactionary because I think you look at the context mm-hmm. and something the Eagles cited a lot when that pick was made and they were like, well, you know, we got to a spot in the playoffs last year where uh, Josh McCown had to play for most of the game, like a 40 year old or whatever Josh McCown because yeah. Carson Wentz got hurt early in that Seattle matchup. Um, so it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, but that doesn't mean you have to go out and spend number 53 overall, which is, you know, a pretty decent second round pick on a backup quarterback when you just signed your franchise quarterback to a long-term extension and the context of there was previous drama in Philly, obviously with Nick Foles winning a Super Bowl and being mm-hmm. here and kind of half of the locker room supporting him and the other half supporting Carson Wentz. So I think it was a terrible move by the organization to add that dynamic here. And it ultimately, I don't think it's the only reason Carson Wentz struggled by any means in 2020, yeah. but I think it's a contributing factor. It didn't help. I can't, you can't say it helped at all. Uh, and so that kind of led things down a bad path. And it's not like the Eagles moved on from Carson Wentz uh, after 2020 because they like were all in on Jalen Hurts. Uh, that wasn't the case by any means. Okay. I think they had some interest in keeping Carson Wentz, but I think it was pretty clear that Carson Wentz didn't want to be in Philly, and it's kind of hard to force your quarterback uh, to to be here when he doesn't want to be here. And you're also looking at a situation where, okay, even if we can fix Carson Wentz, which very much remained to be seen at the time, uh, like – doesn't even fit our timeline anymore because we need to take yeah. a step back. We, we're not competing. It's not like we're bringing them back next year and we're going all in and we're competing again. We need to like reset this thing. So uh, I think the organization absolutely deserves blame for the creating the situation where they had to move on from him, mm-hmm. but moving on from him itself made sense. I think that was what was right for the team at that time. Yeah. Kind of like somewhere with the Rams and our team we cover, you know, you, you do the whole Jared Goff contract and they realized that he just wasn't, what they needed it obviously happened differently than what happened with philly and and carson but it's ironic that it happened the same year the same timeline the same contract style Mm -hmm. um a trades uh, you know for picks so um yeah interesting how that ended up so uh back to this preview though the this charters offense i think can be very dynamic they've struggled a little bit the last two weeks uh or last two games against baltimore and then last week against the patriots justin herbert great quarterback Hasn't played well the last two weeks. Uh, I've been very not shy about it. Like, I, I haven't been overly critical, but just saying, you know what? I don't think it's been the play calling. I don't think it's been other factors. I think Justin Herbert just hasn't played well. Like, he's missed receivers. He's had bad reads, um, stuff like this, that he is much better than. What do you think the Eagles can do to keep him off that rhythm? Because I've said a lot that the big key to this offense is getting a rhythm early, getting going, being able to establish the run game in some aspects so that it opens things up for Herbert and then also just allow him to keep on that rhythm throughout the game, that trajectory, and they can open things up for the big play. And they haven't really been able to do that after the first drive the last two weeks. So how do they, can the Eagles defense kind of capitalize that and continue this trend for another third game in a row? 
Well, one potential mismatch in the Eagle Saver that I would point out is, you know, Chargers starting right tackle right now, Storm Norton going up against Josh Sweat, who's coming off his uh, second multi-sack game in his career. I think that could be a big problem for the Chargers potentially. So I'll I'll mention that matchup specifically, but kind of from a more holistic standpoint, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Eagles play this Chargers offense because, Leading up to the Lions game, there was a lot of criticism for Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, who was really just playing soft. And he's playing that cover two shell, not too crazily dissimilar, maybe from Brandon Staley, mm-hmm. uh, to, to the point where they're giving up everything underneath. But it was like to an extreme. It was like not only are they giving things up underneath, but like they're just like people are wide open. And again, you have Derek Carr completing 31 of 34 attempts. Like it gets, it was going way too much to an extreme point where uh, quarterbacks, the better quarterbacks. And really that's been the case this season. You look at Tom Brady, you look at Patrick Mahomes, you look at Dak Prescott uh, and then Derek Carr. Like, obviously those are really good quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. but the Eagles just made life so easy on them because they just sat back and they allowed those quarterbacks to just, you know, dink and dunk down the field and methodically move the ball down and, that same strategy has been able to work for the Eagles in terms of stopping lesser quarterbacks because those lesser quarterbacks can't contain, contain uh, can't sustain you know those drives consistently. There's going to yeah. be a mistake somewhere, a bad throw, maybe a penalty, and that kind of you know ruins things for them. But the better quarterbacks are not going to make those mistakes, at least more often than not. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting position for Herbert. I think based on you know what I've seen from him he has the talent with some of those top quarterbacks if he's on his a game which he hasn't yeah. been recently as you pointed out but if he is I think he can take advantage of this defense if they're just going to play that cover too but the Eagles adjusted against the Lions they blitz more than they ever did under Jonathan Gannon they were playing more cover one looks so I don't know if that adjustment is going to carry over I think it should but I don't know if it will yeah yeah that's a good point and something um the Chargers fans, I think, will want to look for because that's what this offense, I think, needs to do is kind of just be methodical and take what the defense gives them and not force things. What Herbert's been so great in his career is sometimes he does force things. That's what makes him so fun. Like, that's what makes him like, you know, the Mahomes and the Rodgers is that they force these pinpoint throws into double coverage and it makes you drop your draw. And you're like, wow, what great athleticism, what great arm talent. The last two weeks, those same throws just haven't worked out. They just haven't, you know, ended up with the same result. And so I think this week, let's just get back to basics and let's give what the defense gives us and get methodical. And if, you know, you catch the defense sleeping, then maybe you can get that big play. So have the Eagles defense given up just because I haven't watched a ton of Eagles football, to be honest. Have they given up a lot of big plays or is it more the, hey, we'll give you underneath. We're not going to let you beat us deep. Um, If you want to beat us methodically, we'll, uh, we'll allow that and live with that to fight another day. Yeah, that's like their big MO. They don't want to give up big plays. And to their credit, they have good done a good job of not doing that. But again, like it's it's very much at the expense of giving up stuff underneath. It's like they're not giving up big plays because they're playing their two uh two deep safeties like way, way back. So it's like it's almost like impossible to get a big play down the field against them because that's just like it's by design what they're not going to allow the other team to do. Yeah. And if you're the other team, you're probably not going to test that because it's like, why would you again try to force it when you're there's just guys are running wide open underneath and there's just a lot easier options than you than trying to make that throw in a in a contested spot so uh yeah they definitely don't give up the big play that doesn't mean they can't give up the big play um i think it kind of just 
looks more so uh, it, when they have given up big plays. It's it's you know more of the catch and run version, uh, you know tackling, breaking down, or something like that. So I, I remember Debo Samuel had a really big reception uh, longest against the Eagles at the time back in Week Two. So mm-hmm. uh, you know I know Keenan Allen is a threat to do something like that. So I'll be interesting to see if he can kind of have some big plays against this defense, and then maybe just if these jump ball targets that the Chargers have, uh, which they don't lack, obviously, uh, maybe that can kind of help them too against this defense where, like you said, Herbert might be willing to be a little bit more aggressive. And even if the defense, uh, the Eagles defense is designed to take away those big plays, the Chargers just might be able to out-execute them with some jump balls. Yeah, and, you know, Mike Williams has had such a great start to this season and had two bad games or overall, I guess, just hasn't been targeted. I think he's had four catches, though, total in these two games. Had uh, a couple critical drops. Keenan Allen's had some big drops. So I think this receiving core is going to want to have a big bounce back game and, um, you know, get after those corners early and, and hopefully open some things up for him. But we'll, we'll certainly see. So, uh, Brandon, we'll get you out of here on this. It should be a great game in Philly. Uh, fun kickoff. We actually have someone from the LA Football Network that's going to be there uh, watching it live, which is always fun. Uh, anytime you can get to a game out in Philly. Is this still Lincoln Financial Field? Here's a re- yes. it. Still Lincoln yes. Financial Field. Uh, great fan base, obviously, but who you got in this one? All right, so it's going to sound like a homer pick. I'm taking the Eagles. It's not because like I have unmitigated faith in this team. <laughs> it's uh, in large part because of, I think, in spite of me, who was like critical of the Eagles for uh, there's a story out there that Brandon Staley didn't even want to come to Philly because Howie Roseman, his presence was here. And then I probably I brought up Justin Herbert's name a lot in terms of like the Eagles should be looking for a quarterback like not that and not just settling for Jalen Hurts. So it would only be fitting that uh, the Eagles make me look foolish and then beat that team. That's a big reason why. And also, I think kind of just some of the mismatch stuff like I brought up Josh Sweat. We talked about the running game and how I think the Eagles, you know, are going to be able to do that to some extent. Because I'm guessing the Chargers, even if the Chargers adjust and they don't play, you know, too high all the time um, and they kind of sell out to stop the run a little bit more. It's kind of hard for me to think like they're going to go from like very bottom of the league to suddenly like the best team at stopping the run. So, you know, even if they adjust, there still could be some struggles there. So I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I'm going to take the Eagles to win. Yeah, it, it should be a good game regardless. And, you know, we'll obviously out here be looking for the, the Chargers to bounce back and get back to what we all thought they were, you know, two, three weeks ago. So, uh, Brandon, appreciate the time. Where can everyone find you uh, and all your work at? You can check out my work at bleedinggreennation.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Gowton. Uh, you can check out uh, our podcast on Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed and also on the SB Nation NFL show where we talk about the Chargers sometimes, believe it or not. Not just uh, the Eagles, but the NFL at large. So all those yeah. places. Chargers are getting a lot more a lot more talk these days than they used to in the past. It's fun to see. So, uh, Brandon, thanks for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the game this weekend, and uh, hopefully we'll be in touch again soon. Joining me now on the LA Football Show, right here on the LA Football Network and live on AM The Mightier 1090. He is a reporter for the Sun Devil Source. You can find him on Twitter at Jacob underscore Rudner. Jacob, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for uh, joining me and helping me break down this SCASU matchup. Yeah, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. I uh, I appreciate being on the show. Absolutely. No, it's, it's my pleasure. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting game because I think preseason I had this circled as potentially deciding the Pac-12 South I think coming into this year my expectations a lot and many were too were probably USC ASU and Utah were like the big three in the um in the Pac-12 South and then UCLA I thought could surprise some people which they did early on and have since kind of regressed a little bit but now SC we all know what's gone on with them 
But what's been kind of just the the thoughts with ASU because they do still have a shot sitting at five and three. So walk us through here in LA that haven't really followed them too closely, kind of what their season's been like up to this point, eight weeks in. Yeah, I mean, it, it like you said, Ryan, it, it started off with a lot of promise for the Sun Devils, and I think that there were a lot of people who thought that this could be the year that Arizona State makes that run for its first Pac-12 South title since 2013. Uh, it gets off to a hot start, loses to BYU in an ugly loss. But other than that, you know, it really did look good. And things were, were going strong uh, for the Sun Devils in Tempe. And then only recently did the team really start to slow up. They lost to Utah 35-21, completely shut out in the second half of that game. And then last week, they lose 34-21 to Washington State, basically shut out again in the first half until, you know, the final minutes right before halftime. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was a promising start to the season for these Sun Devils, and now they're kind of in this position where they are going to rely on the help of a team like Utah, who's in first place in the Pac-12 South, if they want to have a shot at the title. Yeah, Utah has been such an interesting team because they started off extremely slow, uh, I believe 0-2 or 1-2 and on the year, yeah. and then came on extremely strong and then had a, a brutal loss to Oregon State. And then looked great against UCLA again last week. So they're kind of up and down. But we know what Kyle Winningham is going to do there. And, and we know how well coached they are. They usually get things going. What's been the thought on Herm Edwards when you look at coaching? Because I, I think I liked the hire when they brought him in. Uh, I thought he was, you know, a good character guy. And I hadn't seen him much in college ranks. But I thought, hey, it could be good fun for the program. Jumpstart it. But they, it seems like they have these high expectations every year that never quite get met. What's the thought in Tempe among the fan base with Herm Edwards? Are they still high on him, or is that seat getting a little warm down there? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would go as far as to say that the seat is getting warm yet necessarily, but I would say that there is a general sense of disappointment as it pertains directly to this year. Uh, I mean, just last week alone when ASU played Washington State, by the end of the first quarter, fans were booing. And mm-hmm. if you listen closely, there were chants coming from the student section, fire Herm. So, you know, this this was a, a program that four years ago, there were a lot of people who are jumping on the Herm train, the whole you play to win the game uh, <laughs> thing that starts to go on and everybody is very excited about the hire. And I think that that has cooled to a degree and even more so in the last couple of weeks with these back to back losses, particularly because, like I said, you know, this was an ASU team that had a lot of potential. It, it returned a lot of its starters from mm-hmm. last year, uh, 10 on defense, if you're going to exclude Jermaine Lole, the defensive tackle who, you know, suffered a season-ending injury before the season. Uh, and, and so 10 of 11 there. You have 9 of 11 on the offensive side. It's supposedly the most uh, super seniors, so-called super seniors in the country. Uh, so it was one of those teams with high expectations. And to this point, it, it hasn't really delivered. And I think a lot of that has fallen on Herm in the eyes of the, the, the fan base. Yeah. I, you know, I've always, I've always loved this matchup, period. But I've loved it the last few years because it seems like we have this fun quarterback duel with Keaton Slovis coming from Arizona and he's the SC quarterback. And then Jaden Daniels coming from Southern California and he's the ASU quarterback. And Daniels is an interesting quarterback to me. He reminds me a lot actually of DTR for the UCLA squad in the sense that he's extremely athletic, you know, a high profile, high recruit guy that every year seems to like, he's going to make that next step. He's going to take that next leap. And you would know better than me because I don't follow ASU a ton, but it doesn't seem like he ever really quite meets those expectations what's the the vibe on him how's his season been thus far has he developed better as a passer or is he still kind of just that athletic athlete that can make plays but he's not a great pocket passer yet it's a good question because I think there's a degree in this situation in particular where Daniels has been solid and the people around him have not necessarily lived up to the expectations that they needed to in order to deliver for him so for example 
against Utah, Daniels looked solid throughout Mm -hmm. the entirety of that game, but he has receivers dropping passes. uh, And there are certainly some situations where, you know, it is on him for a mistake that's made. But I would say that there have been a lot of mistakes around him that have made him look maybe not necessarily like he's having the best campaign overall. And then at the same time, there is an uptick in interceptions. He has thrown a lot more Jeopardy balls than I think we've seen in the last two years with him. But the reality is, and you have to kind of look at it this way too, he only really got four games as a sophomore at ASU. He comes in as a true freshman and he plays right away. So relative to what a normal starting quarterback who is a year three starter at a university might look like, I think that there's an argument to be made that he could be a little bit behind the curve in that regard. So do I think that he has looked solid for the Sun Devils this year? Absolutely. He is he is tremendous with his legs. Uh, he knows how to make a play when he has to make a play. Uh, I, I still do think that he has that spark late in games that we saw with him as a true freshman. But I would also say that there have been some some areas where there needs to be improvement. And he has looked below average for a third-year starter, for sure. Is he, do you, and obviously this is just all speculation in your opinion, but do you think he'll uh, be back for a senior season? Do you think he'll forego and and take his chances with the draft and the combine and all that? It's tough. I think that there are a lot of factors that kind of go around that. I mean, it's no secret at this point that there's an NCAA investigation into Arizona State's recruiting practices. Mm -hmm. And depending on how that plays out, I'm certain that that could be a factor in whatever decision he makes. Totally. Um, But, you know, that being said, he is he is kind of one of those guys where if he doesn't feel like he has the the draft stock that he might have anticipated a year ago or two years ago, it's entirely possible that he returns. So I would say it's really up in the air right now. Uh, I do think that there are a lot of things that need to play out with the remainder of the season and then over the off season before that can really become clear. Yeah, a lot a lot of football to be played, and you know you can certainly increase his his draft stock from here uh until then and, and it's interesting because usc has a similar situation in the sense that keaton slovis going into this year i, I think by many circles would consider it a, probably a first round pick after the season and he has certainly struggled uh to an extent and then we get the rise of jackson dart and what he has done so far and basically his becoming the face of the team, but you will still see Slovis a lot throughout the rest of the year. But now it's like, does Slovis go to the draft? Does he transfer and get another year in under his belt? Uh, does he stay with SC and just battle out with Jackson Dart? So a lot of uncertainty for our quarterback situation as well. Uh, Jacob, when you look specifically at this game, what is it that for SC listeners listening to the show that don't know, what is it that you, uh, that ASU does well, whether it's offensively, defensively, and what do they need to do? extremely well in order to beat the Trojans this coming Saturday at 7.30. Yeah, I'll, I'll start offensively. And the clear standout with this Arizona State offense is its running game. There's no there's no denying it. Uh, this is a group that was able to run for at least 150 yards in 11 straight regular season games. So that doesn't include its bowl game in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it is, has been potent. It's averaging almost 200 yards a game on the ground. Uh, it has three running backs who are fully capable of you know carrying by themselves a Division One football team in Daniel Nagata, Diamante Trainum, and Rashad White, and then Ryan, like you mentioned, Jaden Daniels is a fully capable runner as well, and we've seen him impact games with his legs from the second he got to Arizona State, and that has continued over the course of the last three years, if you want to call you know last year's COVID season a year. Yeah. So offensively, it, it's going to be about how ASU does on the ground. Will it be able to establish its run game? And then you know the other thing with this offense is. The Trojans have allowed, I think it's just over eight yards per pass attempt. And the Sun Devils kind of had this opportunity that they haven't necessarily had in other games where they can start connecting on those short to medium passes with LV Bunkley Shelton, with Ricky Pearsall, 
uh, with tight end Curtis Hodges, who I should note, uh, we did not see him practice on Wednesday. So it's kind of up in the air about whether or not he'll play. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's potential for that kind of dink and dunk passing game. Uh, I do think ASU has the potential for the shot plays with play actions if it can get the run game going. But again, the key, it all goes back to whether or not it's able to run the ball offensively. So I don't know if this if this is a fair question, I guess, then, but since you mentioned the run game is the important thing, but we've seen in the last few years some great receivers come out of Arizona State with Inkeel Harry and then Brandon Ayuk. Is there a receiver, like a budding star on this team, or is it basically a run-first team and kind of role players on the outside? It's a good question because it's been a topic at ASU all year. Uh, Herm Edwards has talked about it on numerous occasions. They don't necessarily feel like they have that ace receiver. Like they have mm-hmm. that go-to guy right now. Uh, I think that the general sense is that it's more of a uh, receiver by staff situation. Uh, that being said, Ricky Pearsall has really stood out as mm-hmm. the playmaker among that unit. And then I mentioned him a second ago, but Curtis Hodges, ASU's yeah. tight end, is having a phenomenal season. Uh, He actually leads the team in yards per reception among receivers with at least two catches at 20.29, which is a a fairly remarkable number. So the answer is no, not really right now, but I do think that there are some standout guys. Yeah, it'll be fun to see how they go because I feel like SC coming into the year especially has, you know, a lot of talent on the outside in in regards to cornerbacks and they just have underperformed unfortunately with Chris Steele and and, uh, others that just not played up to that hype that we all thought and um, you know, part of that's been coaching and, and just, yes, he's a mess. I mean, it's just, it's a mess out here in LA and we're just trying to get through the season. And, you know, I, I love these kids and, and I love coach Williams and what he's done and, but he's just been given an unfair situation, unfortunately. So, um, you know, looking at the SC offense and the ASU defense, obviously I'm sure you know the news, but Drake London, who in my opinion is the best receiver in the country. I, I know I'm biased in that, but just watching the guy week in and week out, the dude is a baller. He just get the ball in his hands and they at least have a shot. They at least have a chance when he has it. Well, he's done. So you lose a huge piece of this offense that basically when things weren't going right, he was the kind of fix it. He was the, uh, the bandaid that could make things go, but they do have a guy that actually has stepped up in the last few weeks named Keontae Ingram at the running back position who has kind of changed how this offense goes from, I know they're an air raid offense, but they've actually been more ground and pound as of late with Ingram. You know, he's had over 28 carries the last, you know, two games. So how is ASU's rush defense? Cause obviously I think it's going to be a heavy run attack for the, uh, for the Trojans this week without having Drake London. So how does ASU do you think will actually um, defend that? Well, I'll start by saying that I think that Drake London's injury, which is obviously a huge loss for the Trojans, actually presents a fairly interesting wrinkle to this game mm-hmm. because it's going to force Arizona State to defend a whole lot more than it probably would have if Jake, Drake London was was active. You yeah. know, Drake London is the clear, obvious focus for this USC offense. The ball is going in his direction more than it will anybody else. And now, no matter what. Three guys right. on and they don't care. Get it to them. <laughs> and, and now, like you said, you have a situation where is USC going to start running the ball? And at the very least, is it going to start, you know, spreading its attack out between its pass and its rush more evenly than we've seen in the last couple of weeks? And I think the mm-hmm. answer to that is, is yes, without your best receiver. So that being said, it will be important for Arizona State to slow down the run. And that's something it hasn't been able to do in the last two weeks, it's allowed 374 rushing yards to two combined opponents mm. in two weeks, Washington yeah. state and Utah. And by the way, I will add Washington state rushes for 166 yards <laughs> and Washington state doesn't run the ball. No, they're at the bottom of the pack. Exactly. It's another one of those teams that, that tends to lean through the air. So I do think that ASU's defense is going to have to be sharper than it would have expected 
in its rushing defense, something that it's struggled to do in recent weeks. And that is going to present a really interesting factor in this game because the passing attack might not be leaned on as heavily as it was even a week ago for USC. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, some guys I think will step up. Kyle Ford, um, Taj Washington, I think are are two good receivers that are fully capable. But you lose a guy like Drake London, it's going to be really hard to move the ball in certain situations. So, um, Jacob, thanks so much for joining me. I'll get you out of here on this two-parter. So, first, who do you like in this game? I think it, you know, ASU, I think, is the better football team right now, better coach team. You know, they have more... um, I guess continuity right now, just because it's just a mess with SC, but SC still has talented players can still surprise people. Um, I think they'll give them a good shot. So who do you like in the game? And then how do you like ASU's chances for the rest of the season contending for the PAC 12 championship, uh, not just the South, but as a whole. Uh, I will say for this game, I think that Arizona state has the the upper edge and I'm going to pick them to win it. I, I actually said on our podcast that ASU would win the game 31, 24, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with that prediction. I think that it's going to be a close game. Uh, but I do think that because of the reasons that you just outlined yourself, I, I would say that ASU has the advantage at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it could unravel, but at the moment, ASU. And then, you know, looking forward to the rest of the season, I, I think that ASU actually has a pretty tough go of things. This USC game is not a gimme. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if USC is struggling, it is not a gimme. And then you look at the next two weeks for the Sun Devils and they travel to Washington. They come back to Tempe and then they travel to Oregon state. So two November Pacific Northwest games, and then they come back for the territorial cup against Arizona, which is almost an automatic win. (laughs) Uh, I, 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 at the moment, I don't think the sun devils win the South. I think that Utah has, you know, the head of steam here and they're, Mm -hmm. they're hot. And I just don't see from the sun devils, the, the same, you know, heat. It's just, hasn't been there. You lose to Washington state and you're going into a part of your schedule that, you know, really only gets tougher. So uh, I, I think that they make it competitive. I, I don't know that they get there though. Yeah. And uh, playing in the Pacific Northwest and you know, Corvallis and whatnot. And in late November is no easy team for a, especially a desert team like Arizona state or an LA team for that matter. So um, it'll be interesting though. And, and yeah, Utah just looks really good right now. Uh, I think that Oregon state game was just an odd loss after how well they had been playing and they jumped 14, nothing and then kind of fell apart in the second half, but Cam Risen's playing good. So um, be a tough battle, but we never know. That's why they play the games on Saturdays, right? So, um, well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, where can everyone find you and your work and, and all the great stuff you do? Yeah, uh, you mentioned it earlier in the show. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob underscore Rudner. And uh, definitely make sure you check us out at sundevilsource.com. We have a lot of great content about Arizona State and uh, certainly can get you ready for this, uh, for this Pac-12 South matchup from the Arizona State perspective. So, uh, you know, thank you, Ryan, for having me on the show. There you go. Absolutely. So uh, enjoy the game. If I'm ever out uh, in that area, I'll definitely hit you up and hopefully we can play a a round of 18 or something. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. (laughs) That's going to do it for the LA football show this week. Thank you to our guests for joining on and especially thank you to you, the listeners who make this all possible. I'm so pumped seeing the growth of the show. So pumped seeing the growth of our network, the LA football network. And it's all because of you guys. So thank you so much. Keep tuning in. Keep giving us feedback. Keep helping us grow. Hopefully we will see you on Sunday at golden road brewery in Los Angeles. Uh, like I said, hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Dyrud LAFB, or you can email me ryan.dyrud at lafbnetwork.com if you want more details on that. But, uh, you know, just come, just show up. Just come show up and, and hang out with us. So it should be a great time, and uh, we'll get you around, obviously, when you get there. I uh, would love to see you guys there. So uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday, Saturday, whenever you are listening to this. 
And, uh, you know, let's go Trojans. Let's go Chargers. Let's go Rams. Let's go 3-0 and on the weekend for LA Football. This is the LA Football Show. I'm your host, Brian Dyrud. Be safe. Be well. See you all soon. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.